0: we're in this fourth week of a sermon series on Jonah more than just a fish tale right in four chapters in Jonah four weeks dedicated to it so here we are at week number 4 the final week just a quick recap of uh, where this story goes so Jonah is a prophet of God that means he's someone who's called by God to be a spokesperson of God's truth that's what a prophet is, someone who speaks God's truth. And God says, go to, uh, to Nineveh, and uh, talk to this great and important city, which is desperately evil, and tell them about my righteousness, And that, that if they don't change their ways, my righteous wrath will pour out on them. J- Jonah decides not to go, not so much because he's afraid of going, although there would be good reason to be afraid, but really because he doesn't want to see them saved. He thinks that they ought to get what God has for them, a uh, uh, wrath and, and destruction. So he goes the other way, he heads toward Tarshish. And he's on a boat and a storm uh, comes up, right? He gets thrown overboard and he's drowning and God sends a great fish to save him. And that's part of his repentance. We'll talk about that from inside the belly of the whale. He prays and the uh, whale vomits him up on on the land. And he goes to Nineveh and preaches God's righteousness and his grace to these people. And they all repent, every one of them. And the city turns around. And that's where, we, uh, that's where we pick up the story today. I'm going to read to you the entirety of uh, Jonah 4. It's not very long, but I'm going to start with actually the last verse of Jonah 3 because it leads right into where we're going. So here's God's word for us this morning. When God saw that, uh, okay, it's not up there, but here, uh, let me read it to you. When God saw that they did not, uh, th- when, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. And here's where we pick it up. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry, he prayed to the Lord, "'Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? "'That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. "'I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, "'slow to anger and abounding in love, "'a God who relents from sending calamity. "'Now, Lord, take my life, "'for it's better for me to die than to live.' "'But the Lord replied, "'Is it right for you to be angry?' "'Jonah had gone out and sat down "'at a place east of the city. "'There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, "'It would be better for me to die than to live.'" But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry that I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and so many animals? And that's the entirety of the whole fourth chapter, and that's how the book ends. Let's come together in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness. Um, And as it's been spoken already from the platform this morning, there's Jonah in all of us. Um, We want to see people who do wrong be punished. Yet we um, sometimes are short-sighted in seeing ourselves as being those people, as being deserving your wrath and how we've been forgiven. So let us learn today from this awesome book with so many details and so many features, so nuanced, um, so many layers, so much detail, so much beauty. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. My Lord, my rock, and my redeemer, for Christ's sake we pray. And together we all say, amen. So we're talking about being obedient to God, as Jonah was and wasn't. And as we're thinking about being obedient, when we are in obedience, we are living in God's love and his power. We are living in God's love and power when we are acting in obedience. I've taken the first two verses of Jonah 4 and I flipped them, I've I've made two, one, and one, two. It doesn't change the meaning, but it just helps me understand a little bit better. Jonah says, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. But to Jonah, this seemed wrong, and he became angry. Jonah didn't understand God's love for the Ninevites. He didn't understand grace. We could say that Jonah was moody. We could say that Jonah was prone to severe emotional shifts, that he was reactionary to circumstances. We certainly could say that Jonah was immature, and it's clear that he was an angry guy. Things didn't go the way he liked, and he crossed his arms, and he stomped his foot and said, I'm mad. I want to die. The the level of immaturity and the anger in this man. Fathers, I'm going to press on you a little this morning on Father's Day. Um, men we have a tendency to be angry. Not all of us. We're quick-tempered, we're immature, moody, prone to circumstances. We cross our arms and stamp our foot and say, "Uh." I don't know why that is a part of us, it's a part of me. I fight it all the time, I pray about it. The reason I bring it up today on Father's Day is that I would ask you men to pray about it. Be healed. Allow the Holy Spirit to lift you out of that. Your wife doesn't want to walk around on eggshells because you're so quick-tempered. Kids don't want to be afraid of Dad because he becomes angry so quickly. Let's together covenant as a church to be less angry, less judgmental, less arm-crossing when things don't go our way. And obviously, this isn't just a talk for men. Women have the tendency to do that too. Now that I've offended all of you. Um, men, on the way out, please have a hot cookie. Um, for real. I knew about the cookie or else I wouldn't have brought that up. No. I mean, do you see it in Jonah? Like, what is with this guy? I'm so angry. I want to die. Like, what are you in eighth grade? It's, it's, where the, it's where the flesh takes us, right? When we, when we don't get our way. Jonah was, Jonah was an angry guy. Four places in the fourth chapter, um, he talks about being angry. And let me um, read those to you. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. Another place, God said, uh, the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry god said to jonah is it right for you to be angry about the plant it is he said i'm so angry i would wish i were dead a popular christian author and speaker admits i'll admit that years ago i pretty much didn't say anything i felt like i have a pretty strong personality and if you said something to me to upset me there was a good chance i'd let you know about it but thank god over time he changed me through his word and helped me begin to manage my emotions through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're talking about on point number one. When we are obedient, we are living in God's power and in his love. And it, it ties together so beautifully in Ephesians 3, verses 16 and 17. Look at how many uh, times power language and love language is used. Paul writes, I pray from his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit, then Christ will make his home in your heart and you will trust him your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Three times talks about power and once talks about love and it all comes together right there in the middle. Then, you, then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust him, that's obedience. When we are walking in obedience to God, we are operating in his love and his power. So like Jonah, when we are disobedient, God invites us to confess and repent. When we are disobedient, God invites us to confess and repent. Part of Jonah's repentance was provided for him in the fish, right? He's going the wrong direction, away from God's will. He's drowning in the water and God provides for him a fish a great fish to swallow him up, and that's actually his salvation. So that's God reaching out and turning Jonah around. We've talked about this before, this beautiful mystery of repentance, that a lot of repentance is actually God repenting us. He's grabbing us and turning us around, making us go in the right direction. And from inside the belly of the fish, Jonah prays this prayer of actually worship, and actually a prayer of repentance. And he prays, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. When we are disobedient, when we are walking outside of God's will, God invites us to confess and repent. So interesting story, right? Jonah is a sinner. He rebels against God. God repents him. Now he's walking with God, doing his will. He preaches to Nineveh, which is God's will. But then he sins again. So it's kind of a back and forth. I I sin, I confess, I repent, I sin again. Does that sound familiar to anybody? me and and in some ways it just seems crazy but it really is the flesh it's where we live but thank God for his uh, willingness to hear our confession and allow us to repent we were on the confirmation retreat a couple weeks ago it was two weeks before the confirmation service we talked about a lot of important stuff and we talked about holy communion and we'll experience this beautiful gift at the end of the service how in holy communion we are literally receiving forgiveness in the bread and wine in the body and blood God is putting forgiveness in us and on us and we talked about how frequently we do communion. At our church, we do it every other week. Some places do it every week. And one of the students said, how come we do it so often? Great question. And I said, do you sin often? And she goes, yeah. And I go, yeah, me too. So some churches do it every week. We do it every other week because here is forgiveness of your sins tangibly in the bread and wine, in the body and blood. When we are disobedient, God calls us to confession and repentance Speaking specifically specifically to those of you who are worshiping online, thanks for joining us. We're we're glad you're doing it. Um, But we're really making it a focus to invite you back into this place where there is public confession and absolution and repentance. And and I get if it's legitimate that you can't come to church for whatever reason, I'll leave that up to you to determine. But we're encouraging you, uh, for those of you who frankly don't have a legitimate reason not to come here to this physical place, to circle a date on your calendar, and that'll be the day that you come back and we'll welcome you, there's a place for you, you belong here, our family belongs together. Come into this place where there's corporate confession and repentance, we're praying for you, we love you, and we hope you come back soon. Proverbs 28:13 talks about this confession and repentance, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Then in the New Testament, Acts 3:19, repent then, turn to God, So that your sins may be wiped out, the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This confession and repentance really allows God's forgiveness, which is given to us through Jesus, through his finished work on the cross, to be ours. We know the story, right? That we are sinners like Jonah. We are away from God because of our disobedience. But Christ took the punishment that we deserve upon himself on the cross died and rose again. The sins of the Ninevites weren't just forgiven by God like with some, I'll just turn away from them, but those sins were put on Christ on the cross and that's why they were able to be forgiven. And this Father's Day, for those of us who are parents, think about a child who might be wayward, we'll just say it that way, maybe you really have a child that is off in the far country, we'll say it that way, and how much you want for them to be whole, to be returned to righteousness or or some semblance of normal living and how there might be a vehicle for that to happen. There might be something that's going on that is bringing them back to wholeness, but think about someone who gets in the way and halts that. How angry would you be? And here are the Ninevites, the children of God who are wayward, who are in a far country, who are disobedient, And, and there's a vehicle to bring them back to righteousness. There's Jonah, but he gets in the way and he stops the process. And on this Father's Day I'm thinking about that for moms and dads and any of us who have people that we love that are in a far country. How enraging it would be that someone would break a process that was bringing someone back to wholeness. And that was the position Jonah was in. But God in his righteousness forgave even Jonah. And through the fish and through repentance he brought him back and turned him in the right direction. So how does this God who loves this child Jonah bring him back to obedience? Well, this is for us today. To accept troubles, you could also write trials as God brings us to repentance, right? A fish being swallowed by a fish, that doesn't seem like a good thing, but it worked out for his good. And we'll talk a little bit about more, a little more about where this story goes in this fourth chapter. Jonah chapter 4, 5 uh, through 8. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant. Interesting twist in the story. Made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant, but at dawn the next day God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, he provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed down on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Wow, interesting turns, right? We thought it was just about a fish, but now there's a plant that grows and then a worm and then it goes down and a a, a scorching east wind and the sun's burning his head and and he's mad again. Just a minute, let me grab this. Wouldn't be Father's Day without some sort of fatherly, manly thing. You should see what I bring in on Groundhog's Day. No. uh, So the story goes that two lumberjacks were felling a bunch of trees in the field. And in one of the trees at the top, they saw that um, a bird had built its nest. And they knew that as they chopped that tree down, it would fall and the bird would die. So instead of attacking that tree with the knife edge of the axe head, they turned it around and used the blunt head. And they began to whack on the trunk of the tree so that it was rattled, so that it would distress the bird, so that it would become very uncomfortable and really hate its circumstances and flee to somewhere safe. Well, they kept doing that, and eventually the bird got up and flew and flew to another tree. Oh, no, we've got to chop that one down too. So again, with the blunt end of the axe, they started hacking at the uh, tree trunk to really rattle it, to, to aggravate the bird so that eventually the bird would make its home in the rock. And God uses trials and troubles and hits our life with the blunt end of the ax head to rattle our life, to make us uncomfortable, to agitate us, so that we begin to understand that where we have planted our roots, where we have um, put our hope, where we have built our house is unstable, and that we ought to move and build our house in the rock. Maybe you've been building your life on money and possessions and status and sex and the abuse of alcohol and drugs, maybe political processes. If we just get that guy or that lady into office or remove that group, things will be better. God is saying, no, I'm agitating you. I'm allowing trials and troubles to come into your life so that you will build your house on a rock. The original Hebrew word for the word provide in this book uh, when God provides the great fish and the plant and the worm is a Hebrew word called Waman. I don't really know much about it. I read some about it this week. But the Hebrew word Waman is positive. It means to appoint or prepare or to assign. So God, Appointed or prepared or assigned a great fish and a plant and even the worm to take away the plant because he was moving he was allowing agitation to come into Jonah's life so that he would leave his selfishness and his self-love and built his house in the rock. All right, we're going to have a little fun with language here in the old King James translation of the book of Jonah. The plant is not called a plant; it's called a gourd. Interesting, and that'll be important here in a second. So remember that it's called a gourd. Who remembers who John Newton was? Anyone remember who John Newton was? He wrote Amazing Grace. He's the guy that wrote Amazing Grace. Interesting story quickly here. He was a slaver. He captured African slaves and sold them for profit until God got a hold of him. And he repented and became a child of God and was living for Christ, completely turned around, and now was working for the church. He wrote Amazing Grace. He wrote another uh, song that we'll look at here called I Asked the Lord That I Might Grow. We'll look at some of the lyrics here now. It's old English, I get it, but we'll talk through it, it'll make sense. So he writes this in the first stanza. He says, I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might seek more, uh, more, make more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. So this is a beautiful cry, right? This is the cry of the Christian heart. Lord, make me closer to you, draw me closer to you. Then there's a bunch of stanzas that talk about how John Newton thinks that ought to happen. We won't read through those, but we'll pick it up here in the next stanza. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed, intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all my fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds, remember that word, and laid me low. When, when's the last time you heard the phrase, blasted my gourds in church? <laughs> God is a gourd blaster. And he laid me low. The song continues, Lord, why is this? I, tremble cried, I trembling cried, wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? The worm that provided to take the gourd away. Tis in this way the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. All right, one more. This is God still speaking. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. God's blasting gourds. He's, he's taking away comfort so that we won't find uh, our all in ourselves as Jonah was pursuing, that thou mayst find thy all in me, that we would find our all in all in God so our final point this morning is that part of obedience is understanding God's priorities part of obedience is understanding God's priorities the very end of the chapter Jonah four ten through 11 but the Lord said you have been concerned about this plant though it did not uh, you did not tend it or make it grow it sprang up overnight died overnight and should I not have concern for this great city of Nineveh more than 120,000 people that cannot tell their right hand from their left and so many animals Jonah was concerned with his own comfort, his own ease of life, and didn't really care much about the lost of Nineveh. He just wanted a a plant to be over his head to keep um, the sun off of him, And, and when that was taken away, he became angry. God was saying to Jonah, I love the Ninevites in spite of their violence, but you know what, Jonah, I love you in spite of your arrogance. One author I was reading this week says we ought to have two testimonies first testimony is about how we came to christ or how christ grabbed us or who we were before god got a hold of our life and who we are now we've talked about that here at royal redeemer having a real succinct easy to tell story so when the conversation goes there with somebody our testimony is that yeah god grabbed a hold of me and he changed me completely but this author says there ought to be a second testimony once you are saved once you're in the family of god they say we ought to understand how God's priorities for the lost and the marginalized and the poor and the underprivileged have now become our priorities. That's our second testimony. Now that God has changed me, his priorities for the lost and the marginalized and the underprivileged and the poor have now become my priorities, and I'm living for him and I'm living to bless them. Strange ending to this book, right? We just thought it was about a guy that gets swallowed by a whale. And then there's Nineveh and there's the plant and there's the worm and there's anger and a hot east wind. And God is really asking Jonah, who are you living for, Jonah? Can't you see that this love that you have is turned on yourself and it really is just an arrogant self-love? Will you see, Jonah, that obedience to me is where you find peace and joy? Let me say that again. Jonah, will you see that in obedience to me is where you will find peace and joy? And then the book ends so abruptly, it's like the book of Acts, like we're in the middle of a story and it just ends. And one commentator says, maybe it ends this way. Maybe it ends this way because it's God throwing a a question at Jonah like a spear. And it ends so abruptly, it's Jonah getting out of the way. So that question like a spear is actually flying through time and hitting us right here in 2021, asking us questions like, are we more concerned with our own comfort and ease of life than we are for the poor and the needy? Or are we more concerned with the with our own safety than we are with those who might be perishing without God? That's my challenge for you today. Go home, think about that, pray that. I fall into that. I like the ease of life and comfort. Has that become more important to me than God's priorities for the lost, the marginalized, the poor, and the underprivileged? God says take your, take your hands off yourself. And once you are living for Christ, once you are living in obedience, that's where you will find peace and you will find joy. Our next steps this morning for you to think about and pray about this week. Number one, understand that godly obedience comes from his love and his power. Uh, We can't just stir this up on our own. It's when we live in his love and when we are powered by his power, we can live to be obedient. Number two, accept trials or accept troubles as God's redirection. He's taking away that comfortable shade tree so that you build your house on the rock. And number three, make God's priorities for the lost and the poor and the marginalized your priorities. Let's come together in prayer. Father, what a journey we've been on this. Let's just be honest, it's a strange book, this strange book of Jonah. But so much detail, I was talking to someone on the way in who had no idea about all this stuff in the book except that this guy gets swallowed by a whale. But thank you for your grace. Thank you that you love the Ninevites. Thank you that you loved Jonah. And thank you that you love us. Let us not be arrogant and um, upset when other people who we in our limited thought think shouldn't be forgiven actually receive forgiveness. But let us rejoice with all the angels in heaven that one who was dead is now alive, one who is lost is now found. Move on my heart, move on our hearts to lose this arrogance, um, this anger, this immaturity, this crossing of arms and stomping of heels When things don't go the way we think they ought to go, but actually are going your way. And we rest in your grace. We rest in the um, knowledge that you have given us love and peace and forgiveness, even when we don't deserve it. Join us in this holy meal at the end of the hour that we might receive in ourselves your forgiveness and your grace and your love and your encouragement and your humility. All for the grace, uh, all for the glory of God, that your word and your name might be known to all the nations, In Jesus' name we pray, and together we say, amen.